Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Other Side NDE, where we talk about the fascinating phenomena of near-death experiences. These are more than just close calls. These are first-hand accounts of what people experienced dying, leaving the body, exploring another realm, and then returning to their body in order to share that experience with you. Every person that we interview and many of us listeners believe these accounts to be undeniably true experiences people had on the other side. If you enjoy listening to stories like these, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, The Other Side NDE, where we post two to three videos every week of people sharing their NDE stories. Hi, my name is Shauna Ristic. I'm here to tell you about my near-death experience. So it happened when I was 19 years old. I was just graduated from high school and trying to figure out what it means to be a woman in the world and to create a life and was modeling and trying to figure out that whole industry and had just started working in bars because that was a way for me to make a little bit of extra cash and you know be able to leave for go sees or for modeling experiences or whatever needed to happen but as i was working in that life i got a little bit disillusioned about what it means to be a woman in the world and sort of felt really disappointed by it all and decided that i was ready to that I knew I had come here for a reason, and I told this to a friend, I knew I had come here for a reason, but I was really ready to renege my contract. That it was hard here, people were not nice, and it was, you know, just more challenging than I had felt ready for. I would never do anything like that. This was just something I said, you know, kind of out of the blue, or over coffee one night. And flash forward to Christmas Day of 1993, and I was on my way to the airport to go to a football game in another city with a client from the bar. And I wasn't sure how this was gonna go down. I really was uncomfortable with the whole situation. Without going too much into details of the past, you know, I was really sort of not sure about this whole thing and uncomfortable about it. But, realized that this is what I was doing. And I had woken up in the morning on Christmas day and I had laid down to, I had gone downstairs with, I was living with my family at the time and had kind of moved back home to try to get my life back together. And I, I went downstairs to have our Christmas celebration. We had, you know, presents and food and things like that. And then my family left to go to my distance family in another town. And I 
went back upstairs to take a nap. And when I woke up from the nap, I realized that I had overslept and it was going to be really tight getting it to the airport. And I was going to make it. I just needed to really hurry. And so I packed my bag really quick and I jumped in the car and I jumped on the highway. And I remember looking down at the speedometer and I was going 75. And at that point, that was 65 was the speed limit. And seatbelts actually weren't illegal at the time. But I felt like for some reason I needed to wear one all the time. So I put my seatbelt on and I was up and I was zooming down the highway. And I thought, gosh, you know, I need to call this guy that I'm going to the this game with and to the strip with and tell him that I'm on my way. I'm just running a little bit late. And this was back when cell phones were those bag phones that plugged into the cigarette lighter. So back before they fit in your pocket. And so I thought, gosh, you know that my cell phone's in the floorboard of my car. I need to take my seatbelt off and pick that up. Gosh, you know, I'm flying down the highway. Let me just go past this car and get over this bridge. And then I'll, I'll do all that. And so I was passed over the bridge and just past the car. So I took my seatbelt off and I bent over to pick up the car phone. And as I came up, I came close to hitting a car I was passing and I swerved to miss and my car nosedived into the median. And then I flipped end over end across the entire median, then the other two lanes of the highway. And then I was found about 40 feet from the car, face down, turning blue. The miracle that happened was that the car right behind me was a nurse and the next car coming from the other direction was also a nurse. So there were two nurses that were immediately there and they just did what they could do to sort of put things back together and hold my airway open as best as possible. But I don't remember any of that. I was completely out of body at that point. And they ambulanced me to the town that I was living in because there was a trauma nurse or trauma doctor there who happened to be there that day. She was only there twice a month and it happened to be that day. So she could, do tubes down the nose so I didn't have to have a tracheotomy and she could stabilize me as best they could. And then they life-flighted me to Kansas City where I spent a month in a coma. And that's pretty much what happened on this side. Now, what I remember is swerving to miss the car and crashing. And then the next thing that I remember is I'm waking, opening my eyes and waking up in this amazing, white lit room. It's completely bright white light. And there's these six beings standing next to me, three on each side. And they're very, very tall and they're like white light. They have sort of the shape of a human and but they're kind of glowing. This beautiful, loving light just coming from them. And it was like, everything was okay them and they they put their hands under me and they lifted me up out of my body and then I was standing in the room with them and I remember embracing them and just being so grateful to be with them it was like finally home with my family you know like the real family like the one who doesn't judge and, you know one without baggage and all that stuff that we deal with here in our human forms with families and the thing that I really learned from them, and I went looking back and really sitting with this and describing that energy, that love, because when you say love, it's not love with all the attachments that we have on, in all the conditions that we have in our human sort of perspective of love. It's really like reverence. It's like they just look at you and they want me and that all of us, because I really don't believe I'm alone in this. And they 
they want nothing but what's the best for us. Or at that moment, speaking in first person for me, they wanted what was the best for me, but not with the conditions of, you know, if I accept their wanting the best that they'll feel better or, you know, with an agenda or with any of that that we're used to when someone offers you something. It was really just like this unconditional love, this total reverence and appreciation for what I had come to do. And they shared that with me about what I had come to do. And I understood later that, you know, really I came here to help people find their way home and remember and realize the same state that I was in at that moment. But I understood that much later. And, and this reverence is like, when they look at me that way with this reverence and this total unconditional love that they're giving to me and wanting what's best for me and wanting me to succeed and wanting me to do what it is I committed to coming here to do, when I accept that and when I receive that, then that in itself is reciprocity. That in itself is the gratitude and the receiving that they get in return. So it's like when someone gives something to you, a compliment, let's say, hi, you look beautiful today. And they give you a compliment. And if you say, oh, thanks, and kind of blow it off, it's not reciprocated. They don't receive anything. But when you say, wow, thank you. Thank you for seeing me. And thank you for this gift of assisting me in my life or of noticing me or of helping me. That receiving what they're giving gives back to them and just they, that love becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And they shared with me that that's really how it works here on earth too. You know, the more that we unconditionally with that love give to each other and someone receives that truly without their conditions or without their fears, but just receives it, when that happens, that gives back to the person giving too. And that's how it's created. And that's how life is created, truly, this loving space. And so I really understood that from them. And then they were showing me, you know, as I said, what I came to do. And I didn't remember it all at the very beginning, but over time, and especially when I came out of the coma, I remembered that I had come here to really help people remember who they are and to figure out why they're here and to step back into that light and love that they are. And they showed me what I'd done up to this point. And at that point, I really felt how much my actions and saw, but not just seeing, it was like seeing like a circumstance between me and my best friend at the time, but really feeling how he felt by my actions and really feeling how I had been with someone really affected them so that I understood fully my own actions, but in the ability to receive that as well. And so they really showed me that. And then they showed me also what would be possible from here on out. And boy, you know, I sure wish I would have had like a map laid out from that point on, but I didn't, but I did know that things were going to have to radically change. Everything was going to be different, and boy, was it. And then the next thing I remember is them showing me, you know, it was sort of a debate whether I was going to come or stay because I had said I was ready to go. And here was my options. Was I going to stay or was I going to go? And for a long time afterwards, I felt a little bitter, like I didn't have a choice in the matter. 
But over time, I've come to understand that it was a mutual choice between us. Was I staying or going? But at this point in my memory of what was happening, they were showing me how it's kind of like how it's all connected, how each of us is connected infinite ways to everyone else and to each other. And it's like looking out of an airplane at night and you see over a city, and you see all those lights on, on the city in the landscape. And each of those lights is connected to other lights. And they're all just this vast network of love and of light in kind of basking in love because that's sort of the foundation of it all. And if one light goes out, it creates like a power surge that creates dims or completely extinguishes other lights all around it and some, you know, across the globe. And just seeing how we're all so connected and that we don't realize how much our own light affects the entire grid of everybody around us. And so they explained that or they showed that to me as well. And they also showed me how even on a concrete personal level, how me leaving would affect like my brother, how he would be with women. Would he ever have a relationship or really get married or even be able to, it would completely change his trajectory in life, you know, and others as well. And interestingly enough, you know, what I found out later was that there were many people on this side praying for me and sending prayer grams. Like when I came out of the coma, my mother had saved all the letters that people had given me. And, and there were hundreds of prayer grams from churches, from people that I didn't even know that were putting energy out there to pull me back. You know, my family had stayed in the waiting room and kind of camped out there and you could only see me twice a day throughout those first two weeks of the coma and for 30 minutes at a time and only two people at a time and they all of them my aunts and my cousins and my parents and my brother well, my brother couldn't handle it but most of my family was camping out in the waiting room in order to just have a moment to come in and see me but pulling me back and i do remember even a memory of that where i was I remember looking down from my hospital room and I saw my body in the bed, just broken and remember seeing it, wow. And seeing this broken body there in this sort of lifeless form. And I saw my mother sitting next to me and holding my hands and sort of praying. And I remember thinking, what did I do? Oh my God, what did I do? And, and then I sort of snapped out of it and went back into sort of this darkness space that I was in most of the time. The last thing that I remember really was the circle of those beings. There were probably about 12 of them and they were all in a really large circle in this room. And I was amongst them and they were all debating whether I was to come or go. And like I said, for a long time, I thought I didn't really have a choice because I really remember that circle. But over time, I've come to realize that it was a joint decision. And once that decision was made, I began to come back. And it's not like the movies where when you come back, you sort of pink back into body and you're like, what did I miss? And everything's fine. It took a really long time to get back into body and to really be able to integrate back in here after going so, so far out and so far away, back with these beings that feel more like home and experiencing this loving space that felt more like home 
what I really think home is. And as I was coming back, I remember a moment where I was still not fully awake, but I came out of the coma for a brief moment and my friend, I was sitting there and he had been staying with my family in the waiting room and he was in his turn to be in the room with me. And this was, I think about three or four weeks after the accident. So I was still in the coma and I woke up and I remember laying there and just kind of looking at him and just willing him to wake up, please wake up, please wake up. Now in the accident, I broke my chin off. So I have metal plates in my chin. I had head injuries. I broke six ribs, four front and back, punctured lung, back pelvis, you know, really crippled body up, a broken ankle and other things that I forget about. So at this point I couldn't speak because my jaw had been reconstructed. And I remember just wishing him awake and he woke up and he said, oh, Donna, you're awake. And I kind of mumbled something and I think he understood that I was asking what happened. And he told me, and I don't even know what he said. I don't remember that. But what I remember is the way the room felt. I remember that full pregnant potentiality, that loving fullness was here, was on this side. That fullness and that okayness and that love and that everything is as it should be and you are loved and you are okay and you know we are grateful for what you're doing here that whole feeling of support and love that i felt on the other side it was here too it's the foundation of this place too of this side and i could feel that i could feel that in the room just pulsating and i remember just marveling it it's here too it's all that is, it's all that is. It's just the illusions of our day-to-day -day karmic life that we forget about what the truth is and who we are. And that, that truth of who I am and that feeling of homeness and support and love that I felt on the other side, it's here too. And I just remember feeling that and then I couldn't hold awakeness anymore. It was too much effort to stay in body. And so I just sort of fell back again, back into this deep, deep, deep space. And then the next thing that I really remember is there was a moment where they would strap my body into a wheelchair and wheel me to therapies. I was not in body at most of those times. I kind of have a memory of being strapped in and hating it because I felt like my body was going to slip out and they were going to run over me. And they wheeled me to PT and I kind of had a memory of at one point them holding me up and I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm not even in this body. How are you going to make me walk? But what I really remember is that after that session and in the wheelchair and I wasn't too much in body, but I remember kind of dropping into body and they're wheeling me down the hallway. And I remember seeing this person coming toward us that was also in a wheelchair. And remember as they got closer and closer thinking, wow, what happened to that person? They are really messed up. And as it got closer and closer and closer, I realized it was a mirror and that was me. And I thought, wow, I've really done it this time. And at that point I snapped right back out of body and didn't remember a whole lot after that. And from that point on, you know, I don't really remember a whole lot until they transferred me to the neurological hospital. And I dropped in the body once they gave me a hot bath. 
that was just the way that my body would had always relaxed and once that happened i started really coming back in more and more and more and then further down the line as i healed and got out of the hospital they told my parents to expect me to be in the hospital the neurological hospital so i was in the coma and in the intensive care unit for about a month and then they transferred me to a neurological hospital and said i'd be there for four to six months they should not expect me to live on my own or be able to go back to school or be independent but i did it in four weeks and i was out on my own and within a few months i was living on my own again and going back to school but at some point after all i'd been through you know, and coming back after that, it's like being totally blasted open. It's like we all have our light inside us, this beauty that we are, that I really dropped into and became aware of there and saw that in these beings as well. And they have very much emphasized that I am like them, and so are you. You know, that we are each this beautiful light and love inside, and that it's just that as we have experiences here, it creates these filters over us that we sort of our light shine through and that kind of create shadows on who we are and create shadows on who we remember we are and we forget. And well, before I got out of the hospital, I remembered that there was one moment where they took me to another hospital for some more surgeries. And I remember seeing the grass and I remember how it was so brilliant and that just noticing how that vitality of the earth, that life force is here and how it animates, enlivens everything. And that's that light, that light. There's something so different between the light, the living and that which isn't living. It's everything is so much more life force in it and that vitality. But over time, after coming back and really working hard and having all those filters kind of blasted off and being purely in that love space and seeing nothing but the light in other people, I mean, you can see it in each other's eyes. Right there, you know, in someone's eyes is that light. You can see it in them. And I remember that I could really see that, but I didn't have the capacity to notice the shadows that might influence how they're going to behave or react to me. And so, I often would get hurt or taken advantage of or manipulated. And that was sort of a challenge for me. At the same time, it was so challenging to see the hurtful things that we do to each other. I mean, who decided war is a good idea, right? I mean, and that's only one thing. And I really was struggling with that. And so I went into a bit of a depression and started having thoughts about, you know, maybe I was wrong about coming back. Maybe this is I'm feeling a little bitter because I felt like I didn't have a choice in the matter, but I couldn't end it. I mean, that was really bad. I mean, after all we've gone through bringing me back, I couldn't like disappoint all those people now. And I started journaling and I would just write and write and all these thoughts and all this, these questions would start coming out and coming out and coming out. And after a while, I kind of go into a trance, just sort of regurgitating mental stuff. Then when I would read it later, I would notice that something had started to respond. Something was answering my questions and it had happened through my hand, but it was not my voice. And that's when I started communicating with that council that I had met on the other side while I'm on this side. And they have become huge confidants for me huge supporters and have helped me in my path. And 
I really wondered, you know, I know I came here to help people find their way home. I know I want people to know what I discovered on the other side about this love is the foundation of it all. And we are all this beauty inside. Just step into it and love it, you know, and this reverence and reciprocity, you know, it doesn't have to be so much baggage. I mean, I knew I wanted to do that, but I had no idea how to do that. And I'd started to go back to school and wasn't sure what to study. I was going to study nursing, but that wasn't really the right way. And then in my journaling, they started explaining to me how to notice when things open you. So when you drop into that truth of self, we call this intuition, and there's plenty of people out there who want to tell you it's not true, but when you drop into that truth of you, and it's not up here in the mind and pushing forward and thinking about it, it happens more when we sort of fall back in that relaxed state and we drop into ourselves, into our own essence, like when you're in the shower and relaxing, for instance. You drop into that sense of self that I had experienced, that purity of self, in that accident, in that whole experience, that NDE. When you drop into that, then you can notice when something really resonates with you and it is the right path for you, it expands you and it draws you to it. And when it's not the right path for you, it contracts you and sort of pushes you away. And explain this to me. So I started playing with that. And, you know, I was kind of going through this, well, how do I find my way? And then lo and behold, once I surrendered to it, things started lining up. And I met a woman who was a massage therapist, which at that time I didn't even know that was a valid profession. And she had a lot in common with me. And I asked her, I said, you know, I had this experience and I don't know what to do about it. And I don't know why I'm depressed all the time. I'm so unhappy. I'm working in this job at this restaurant. And I'm supposed to, you know, I'm doing just fine. I have everything I'm supposed to want. I've got a decent car, I've got a good boyfriend. I've got, you know, this good job. And this was maybe two years after the accident. I said, well, why am I miserable? And she said, well, maybe you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And she suggested, well, go check out this massage school. And I went there, and as soon as I walked in, it was like, ah, it opened. And it was like, yes, this is it. And that started my path into doing healing work. And from that point on, you know, I did go to France for a period of time. Once I graduated from massage school, I started my business and my business really took off. And then I wanted to get a bachelor's degree, mostly because I wanted to prove doctors wrong that said I couldn't do it. And so I was at a point in my degree where I needed to do something. And my friend was like, well, what do you love? And I said, I love French. I just love it. And so I ended up getting my degree in French because I'll always be a healer and lived in France for four years. And while I was in France, I learned another valuable tool because I don't know if you've ever been to those Mediterranean cities, but the roads are all sort of maze-like and you get lost really easy. In the evenings when I was sort of turning and trying to figure things out, trying to understand everything and trying to find my connection with the council in this foreign culture and realizing how many things that I thought were maybe intuition or maybe normal or cultural perceptions because they weren't that way there i would go out at night and i would purposely wander these maze of streets to try to get myself lost and then i started noticing that if i followed the brightest path it's not the most well-lit one it's not necessarily the one with the most light the one that expands you and pulls you to it i followed that one i always found my way home and that to me was a huge lesson. If you follow the brightest path, you're always going to find your way home, back to you, back to where you belong. 
And that's been sort of the foundation that I've lived on since then. And then after four years, my time in France was up and I decided to come back and continue my healing practice here in America. And I was in America in Kansas for another several years and met my husband and had my child. And then after about 10 years there, uh, Spirit decided we were to move and we moved to Santa Cruz, California. And that's where I'm at now. And it's been another opening, you know, with the guidance of spirit and a lot of intense experiences. I can't say it was all bliss, you know, but I can see the good in it now. Where this place has really helped me even step more fully into what I do and to helping people. And now I'm able to work with people at distance so I connect them with people's energy and can feel them as though I can step into it and feel it myself and see what's going on with them and feel what's going on with them and in order to move the energy and help them through it. So a lot of times that's a stuck emotion or an undigested experience or something along those lines. So I work intuitively a distance and I also have a practice in Santa Cruz, California where I work one-on-one -on -one, hands-on with people as well as in Los Gatos, California, which is in Silicon Valley where I also have a hands-on practice and work one-on-one -on -one helping people heal. And it's been quite a ride, but I'm so grateful to share this with you and to be at a place where I can remind you of who you are and hopefully help you find a little bit of why you came to and find your way home. Falling.